My dear listeners, I hope today is going amazing for you. Join me on my podcast as I share stories of people just like you who made bold decisions in their lives and in turn, they live their dreams. As they say, it's up to you to make it happen. This show is sponsored by BioMental, all natural nutritional supplements for your daily needs. Always stay healthy, strong and focused, and the rest will follow. To learn more, go to biomental.org. Hello everyone, today we're meeting Miles Wickham. He's a self-made uh, financially independent person and the host of the Unconstrained podcast. Hi, Miles. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Let's start our conversation with diving into your story of becoming the person you are today. Mm. How <laughs> did it start for you? How did you achieve that place where you became financially independent? And uh, when was the turning point for you to realize that you know, the system that we live in doesn't work. Well, I guess the turning point for me was when I learned to do the polar opposite of what everyone else was doing. <laughs> that that was when everything started to go right. Um, so if my accent doesn't give it away, I'm originally from Australia. I grew up until I was about 25 uh, in a city on the south central coast of Australia called Adelaide. So I was born in the mid 60s. So I grew up kind of in the 70s I guess I was when my I was a kid and back in those days um, we were raised as I guess there's a term that I heard somebody use once and I think it's true we would call them free-range kids and what we meant by that was that it was a time when people would just you'd ride your bikes after school you'd go have adventures in national parks and go live with nature and it was just the way that we thought things were because you're living on an island that's the size of the United States. And at the time there were maybe 15 million people living on it. So you learn to live with nature. It's just how it is. You know, it's not that you choose it. It's just how it is. Even though the city I lived in had a million people in it, I grew up on the outskirts. So we were very close to, to nature. Uh, the reason why I realized that to be more important today is that everything I learned, everything I did was not dictated by the laws of society as much as it was dictated by the pragmatic reality of being a human being on planet earth, living in, in, in this world of nature. Um, I had parents that were incredibly wise. I start realizing that now as I'm older, but they wouldn't stop me from growing on my own, uh, even to the point where uh, although I was a very lucky to be a gifted musician, uh, when I was very young, I was in the uh, South Australian Junior Symphony Orchestra at the age of 11 as a violinist. Um, that was my level of discipline, I guess, was to learn the discipline through classical arts. Uh, but when it came to things like school, and I, I wasn't a very good student, and so I 
I left school at a young age. I didn't even finish high school and I went into business and started my own software company, which in the late 1970s was unheard of, but I was one of those crazy guys who had this sense that this thing would be big one day. And, it, and of course it turned out to be. And um, I just never, again, I never understood why there were people who didn't do this because to me, that was normal. Uh, if you saw an opportunity and you could make a profit from it, you'd, you'd go with it, you'd take it. Uh, I realized, you know, and that, that progressed into many adventures in Australia that I'd work with governments and work with defense contractors and and even the university that I could never get in hired me to build their cryogenic freezer storage systems. Um, I mean, it's ironic, but I started realizing, I think when I was 25, I left Australia to come to the United States. So I, I met a girl on vacation in Hawaii and I ended up coming to Los Angeles to see her and we eventually got married. And then I found myself in the United States and I started realizing how atypical my upbringing and my life had been compared to everybody else that was living in this mega city. And it wasn't that, I mean, I wanted to learn. I was so uh, great, uh, grateful for being in a land of opportunity where I could find a, a career that I had a hard time, uh, not impossible, but a hard time in Australia finding that it was one of those things, it was like a gift to be there, but I I still could not understand why so many people were so limited in what they wanted to do with their lives, um, particularly given the immense amount of opportunity that was in the United States. And so I, I began a journey of living atypical, um, which was very difficult at first. Uh, I didn't have the right degree. I didn't have the right papers to work in the computer industry, an industry I had helped develop um, until I found a startup that didn't care about those things because they had, you know, they were a startup. And it just so happened that that startup was Amgen. They became the world's largest biotechnology corporation. And I got a free ride um, through the world of stock options and all of that. And by the age of 32, i retired. I didn't need to work anymore because I'd made all this money by stumbling into this uh, this business. Um, so it was kind of weird. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, it's just like you said, uh, we all live in that system-based um, society where we just follow the rules or whatever we've been told all over around us. Again, like it started with the childhood, but people that are in our circle everybody is like i would say listening to the social uh, mantra how you refer to it right mm -hmm. uh where we just blindly believe what we're told right yeah. and we just don't know better and we don't know what the truth is and we just continue following those rules like set by society for us to follow right yeah. and never yeah. question why we're doing it and what exactly is the end goal right and who is benefiting from certain type of activities that we're involved in so i see that you were 
uh, race kind of like unconventional or atypical uh, in terms of not taking that in as truth but questioning it and that's why you found the way to uh, set yourself up for success for long term being retired at the age of 32 and again it comes back to how we've been told that we're supposed to finish the school right get a degree and then with that we have we should find a job that you know will give us some kind of salary that we can just retire at a certain age, usually like 65 or so. Mm -hmm. Why is yeah. it are we supposed to wait that long to enjoy life to retire at the age of 65? What well, happened on the way where we just um, kind of like shift our focus to, uh, I guess, not benefiting ourselves, but the corporation that we work for? What do you think that uh, comes back to? Like, what is the main reasons people still being in that situation where they, think they don't see any opportunities that will help them to be independent or financially sustainable? Um, the, well, firstly, I think the answer to that question is what I call we live in a tightly coupled society and I'll, I will kind of explain that and why I think that's very dangerous, by the way. But to your point about retiring at the age of 65, um, I got that lesson early in life because when I was 22, my father passed away unexpectedly and he was 67. And so at that age, uh, I was a kid, but I very quickly had to grow up and although I, I guess, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a different thing for different people, but my job was to look after my mom. My job was to kind of be the mast on the ship in stormy waters and to, you know, take care of my dad's estate and all of that. It's a horrible job, but everyone's got to do it at some point in their lives. And I did it young and I looked at this man's life and he was a typical 20th century uh, company man. He worked for the same company for 40 years. He subscribed to that social mantra of, you know, go to school, work hard, save your money, retire. And he did. He retired at 65. He died at 67. And so I look at the whole thing and go, well, how, how did that work out for you? That wasn't that wasn't good. And, and I swore at that point, having seen the result of it, that I'd never go down that path myself. But it wasn't that that denoted a set of actions or goals in which I had to move forward from. It just gave me a sense of a warning system that, you know, just succumbing to somebody else's edict, somebody else's dream, somebody else's um, definition of, of you, of who you are, and what it, what it means to be a, quote, good person, as opposed to being the authentic you are often juxtaposed. And I think that probably for me, what I learned and, and why this sort of all made perfect sense in the end was that uh, I started realizing that the Western society had built up this obsession around money at a level that was completely unhealthy uh, to the point where they would 
they, I don't know who they, they are, but people were pre-programmed, socially hypnotized, and uh, provided a set of principles by people far not qualified to do that. Uh, example would be a high school student gets told what they should do with their life by a school guidance counsellor who is, in effect, not a successful person in those endeavours, which is insane. It's like me saying, well, I'm going to learn how to be a motor mechanic from somebody who doesn't know how to fix a car. I mean, that is is ludicrous to me. But this is what our kids go through. And then we force them into a sense of obedience by enslaving them to money particularly to selling out their future to debt as young as the age of 18 by way of student loans. And then we perpetuate that all through one's life by way of mortgages and credit card bills and car loans and all these things that we think in ourselves we must have to be successful. We purchase ahead of time our definition of success on a buy now, pay, pay later policy. And then we spend the rest of our lives paying for it only to realize that the illusion of what that success was didn't benefit us. It only benefited somebody else. For example, um, I when I was living in Los Angeles, I would constantly be dealing with freeway traffic. Uh, you know, you, it was a very important thing in Southern California to time when you left work or when you headed to work uh, because of the way that the freeway, freeways would be gridlocked with traffic. Uh, I remember many a time I'd spend two hours sitting in a car in gridlock traffic to travel 20 miles. It was ridiculous. But this was the norm. And this was what people in society did. And I always question it as, as somebody who sort of learnt the basic fact of well, if you go out there and hurt yourself, don't do that again. <laughs> um, and yet what I saw was a world in which these people were doing it every day, twice a day, going to work, coming home from work. Um, I didn't understand it. And you'd speak to people. I remember I'd, I remember when I, when I was working, I'd show up in this beat up old car that was barely drivable, but it worked. It got me from my home to where I was working. And I could avoid all that freeway. I, I lived very relatively close to where I was working. And uh, people, you know, I'd park in this, what eventually became a multi-billion dollar corporation in there, you know, hot, uh, parking and all this sort of stuff. And I'd drive this beat up old derelict car to work and I'd park and everybody would come to me and go, Miles, come on, you're earning all this money. What, why are you driving that beat up piece of, you know, junk? And, and I'm like, well, because it works. And I, you know, why do I want to kill it off now? Because it's working. What do you drive? You know, and they go, oh, I've got a 911 Porsche or I've got a, you know, a, 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 some luxury car, Mercedes or something like that. And I go, well, great. So how much does that car cost you? And it'd be like, I don't know, $50,000, $100,000. And how much money do you make in your job? And, you know, they wouldn't tell you that, but you knew. And it was like, I don't know, they made 75000 a year or, something like that. And I'm going, so you basically spent an entire year's salary on a car. And what do you do with that car? Oh, I drive it from home to work every single day. 
in that gridlock traffic, killing the engine, beating it up so that I can look better than everybody else driving in the gridlock traffic, killing their engine, beating their cars up because I'm successful. Well, how is that sensible? It's, it's insane, to be honest. Uh, it's totally insane. And yet, everywhere you look, the billboards, the TV ads, radio, whatever it is, telling you to buy that car. You've got to have that Tesla. You've got to have that Mercedes. You've got to have that BMW. Uh, no. <laughs> the smarter way would have been move closer to where you work and ride your bicycle because then you can keep the money you earn. But we don't teach our kids these things. We Parents, I mean, I'm a parent. I have a 25-year-old daughter. And I, I know how this is as a parent. We want the safest route for our kids. We want to give them a path that has the greatest chance of success where they won't be subjected to danger and they'll be out of harm's way and that they can feel good about themselves. And so we enslave them to a debt contract to put them in college. We The college then puts them in this sort of artificial bubble of corporate America. They live that world. They make barely enough money to pay their monthly rent and their food and their medical insurance and their cars and their everything else. We don't teach them how to avoid that trap. We just entertain it because we say to them, it doesn't really matter because if you just keep socking away a little bit of money in your 401k, when you're 59 and a half, you'll be able to get that money back. And maybe at that point, maybe you want to work a little longer because, you know, you need a bit of extra money for your retirement, but you can eventually amass all that money and then quit your job or retire from your job and go off and travel the world or live on a beach or whatever. And I look at that and I go, that's what happened to my father. That's what he was taught. It doesn't work. And this is the insanity that our world is. We constantly identify ourselves as this pre-programmed, hypnotized, social being, species, if you like. I mentioned the term closely coupled, meaning that we are so close to the edge, there is no slack with anything in our lives. If you don't get that train to get to work that day, you're late and then you affect somebody else in the chain of the work supply chain of people and the boss will you know, give you hell and... And then you go and sit in your cubicle and look at some screen all day, whereas your body is telling you that's probably the most unhealthy thing you could ever do because we we are supposed to be up and walking and, and out in the sunshine, but no, we're going to live in this concrete jungle. We're going to get away from who we really are as a species. We do this every single day. We do this for 40 odd years and we wonder why we're miserable, why we're depressed, why we have to go to artificial means to bolster these things in our lives, whether it be prescription drugs or recreational drugs, whether it be alcohol, whether it be vice of any other form, we look at ourselves and we wonder why we're so unhappy. And I look at it and go, well, it's bloody obvious to me <laughs> because I, I'm pretty happy. I don't, I don't subscribe to this. And I don't think that you need to be a multi-millionaire to see this. Um, the fact that I made my money doing things that were not normal tells me that if you do normal things, 
you are less likely, if not next to impossible, that you're ever going to be able to get off the treadmill. And yet, everywhere I go, I'm talking to people who will commend you on what stock you bought or what, you know, crypto you bought or something like that. And although those things might help you, the problem isn't those things and they're not the solution. They're like band-aids or a quick pill to take for a, an, a, a lifelong illness. The, the question is change your life habit and then stop subscribing to the, I need to buy that car. I need to have that TV. I need the best iPhone. I need this. I need that. You don't really. And, and seriously, it's okay to say no to yourself. It's actually very empowering. It's okay to say, I haven't earned it yet. Um, I am here in Mexico. This is an unusual place, but my wife and I came down here a few years back. We bought an acre of land in central Mexico. We are building um, a multi-million dollar property of our dreams here. And I live in a place where there is no mortgage debt and there's no such thing as a, a mortgage here. You pay cash for everything. Uh, people live very happy, very healthy. Um, everybody is in the sunshine. Everybody has a story to tell. People are far more social than they were in the United States. I'm not saying that the United States can't have that or that people there are not good people. I've lived in the US for 30 years. I, I believe very strongly in the, the best of America. But at the same time, I don't see it going on around me in the city I live. And so we're down here. And, and for that reason, it's like uh, a detox. You, you leave this world of depression and lack of hope because everyone's perpetuating the same thing. They're more interested in politics or sports than they are about living a, a wholesome life. Um, none of that stuff is on the radar down here. Everyone's just out in the sunshine with their dogs walking around on these cobblestone streets dating back to the 1500s and, and trying to create a better world. And to me, that's more organic. That's more na natural. And it's why everyone's got a smile on their face. And so I, again, I'm, I wish I could say there's a simple answer to this, but there isn't based on the, how deep, the rabbit hole has become and how enslaved to that rabbit hole everybody in the United States has also become. And it's not that I, I, I really do love friends and people and family and someone that I have in the US, but I am so uh, fearful and I am so uh, saddened for what their life is going to be because a simple change of mentality to move to where you're treated best uh, would solve the problem better than a pill at the pharmacy. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I'm actually a pharmacist myself. And I'm <laughs> <I'm sorry>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's kind of like my background, right? And right. Uh, I'm still is a registered pharmacy here in New York State. So I've been counseling tons of people, you know, on a, every day. And I've seen how many medication they take in. And all of those conditions, the chronic conditions could have been avoided, prevented easily. Again, like it's, I know like every story is unique, but I would say 90% of those conditions that they're in and the medication that they take in, 
it could be a different scenario for them if only they change their habits, if only they question certain type of activities that they were doing, you know? Mm -hmm. And again, like, I think we don't really prioritize our mental and physical health enough to uh, find that solution, to seek help, to get off that treadmill. And usually for you know, average person here in the United States is going to work every single day for at least five days a week. And we feel anxious, stressed, you know, always some kind of pain, either emotional or physical pain. And yeah, and that's because of our choices that we made. Everything comes back to us deciding to do that. And nobody is forcing you to do it unless you are, you know, unless you're choosing to do it. So basically it's all up to you, but for you to realize that this is a trap, this is a trap because what really important is not how much you make, how much you keep after all of your expenses. You know, a lot of people like afraid to look into their expenses with all those different cars and, you know, different stuff that they acquiring, usually not because they need it, but to impress somebody, maybe people that, you know, really don't care about what you have. But yeah, that's more important for you than looking for your own mental and physical health. And that, you know goes to the point where you feel burnt out like you just don't you, you don't feel like you want to function you just stop doing anything because there's nothing you can give and there's something that is important which is like you have to always recharge your energy also like feel that you can give your best but for you to give your best you need to first kind of uh, invest in yourself give yourself that time to heal to um, empower yourself to the point where then you can give others but you would never come to that place in just doing something that you hate to do just for that paycheck and again like what kind of lifestyle does it give you you constrained to come in every single day to get the money because if you stop what will happen what if you get sick what will happen like nobody has that plan b in place right it's only one plan for them and they think they're gonna live forever and they think they'll always be young and healthy but everything could happen like tomorrow what if something happens do you have enough money to you know for next six months you know, so that's kind of like uh, gives us uh, that perspective where we see um, only those like vacation days that we provided usually two, three weeks a year. That's when we can go somewhere and we think that's enough for, for us to just relax. Even on vacation, people still work like on their phone and they constantly like trying to kind of like disconnect from nature. So we lost that connection to nature. And and that that is bad for us because in the end, like it doesn't uh, help us grow. It doesn't uh, give us that opportunity to become the best version of who we can be. 
And again, I know it could sound scary to start your own business or find other opportunities to get that passive income without your time being uh, traded for money. But of course, it takes time. But again, like what you choose to do today matters in five years from today. But do you think that long? Or you want that instant gratification with you knowing that you're going to receive that paycheck and buy something that you don't need? Is that what you're looking for? So again, like um, our focus in the society, it's affected by all of the noise, all of the messages that we're hearing from everywhere. And if we don't put that filter and start questioning what we're listening, we're never gonna kind of come to that place where we will see what's available, what other opportunities are there. So I would like to kind of like stress that out because um, nowadays it's just automatic pilot. You just wake up, you go to work and you come back home, you're tired, you don't want to do anything and just watch TV. That's like average person's life in here in the United States. And they don't know, like this time goes by and time is the most valuable asset also. You know, it's more important that whatever you earn, right? Because time you can never get back and what you do with your time matters. Yeah, I I think the other part of this is that um, I've kind of learned over time that there's a lot of, I think we all know in our, deep in our hearts that what you're talking about is important and we should abide by these things. I've always been fascinated as to why people don't, like why do they continue to, uh, it's like the, oh yeah, but wait, I've got this to do or oh yeah, but squirrel. (laughs) It's like they're off distracted by something that takes them off that path. And it's very difficult. It's kind of like people who go on a diet they realize that they need to make changes and they go ahead and they start the process. They do it maybe a couple of weeks, three, four weeks in, and then they're just back to the old habits again. And so I always looked at that and thought, well, what, obviously we we're sort of conditioned into this world from a very young age, but at what point do we stop making decisions that are in our best interest and give that power up to somebody else's best interest where we become a team player, where we become, a member of a the company man or the company woman, um, that we start realizing that we must give ourselves up for the greater good. Um, I understand that situation maybe in times of crisis, war, pandemic even. I mean, I get that. I don't get it when times are normal and I don't understand why. So I began to look at the whole process and, I, and I've spent a large amount of my time traveling all over the world and seeing different people in different countries about how they look at those sort of issues. And uh, the United States is uniquely, um, was unique in the way that people tend to gravitate around giving up what's good in there for them personally, for the greater good of the country or their political party or whatever. And I always wondered why they're so willing to do that. I always thought when I came to America that I I came to the country that, you know, it was country of revolution, right? The country that said, no, we are not going to put up with the tyrannical laws of, you know, some European monarchy or something like that. We're going to do it on our own. Uh, great. Okay. Um, having come from a British Commonwealth country and 
being succumbed to rule under that sort of law. I get that. But I come to the United States and go, you have every opportunity here to do whatever you want, to be whoever you want to be. And yet you're giving up willingly. Why are you doing that? And I constantly started to realize the reason is that the society we've created, it's not uniquely American, but the society we've created is incredibly tightly connected and geared for each thing. For example, if you want to buy food, you go to a supermarket or to a food vendor who then is relying on having the food by way of wholesaler to Cisco or some of the wholesale companies who then get it from co-ops, who get it from the growers. We're like eight steps removed from the farmer who created the tomato to when it sits on your table. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is if any one of those steps in the chain breaks, uh, supply chain issue, transport issue, pandemic, anything like that, the entire supply chain grinds to a halt. There is no room for slack. Um, in the 1980s, we began a process in um, inventory management for retail of a thing they called just-in-time inventory management. And for all of these MBA students and, and, and econo economists and so on, they herald this as like the next greatest thing because now, you know, companies didn't have to have a massive warehouse of things. You could go to your Home Depot and find anything you wanted. And as the item was pulled off the shelf for sale, when it hit a very low reasonable threshold, it triggered an order back to central distribution to restock and that triggered an order back to the suppliers and everything was done in this beautifully interconnected chain. It was kind of like systemic um, perfection. But it doesn't work that way because we don't have any slack. If there's a problem and something breaks in the chain, everything grinds to a halt. You can have a little bit of a blip here and there, but you can't have anything more than a week of break or there's no toilet paper on the shelves. There's no food in the supermarket. There's no wood at Home Depot. And these things cause families to not eat, uh, families to freak out. Uh, people can't build things. Construction costs go up. It's like the ripple effect is horrible. So what do we do? Well, we, we create a world where we're further and further connected to each other, closer and closer. And then we look to some sort of a, a government oversight to keep it all working together in some way. We give up individuality in a sense of being uh, sovereign, decentralized people to being part of a, a hierarchy where things come down to us. And then what we get defines who we are. That's not how most countries in the world actually work. What they'll do if you go to a village, if you go to a small town, even here in, in Central America or you know Mexico, you will see that they don't care. Um, if I can't eat today, that's okay, I'll eat tomorrow. And it's the farmer who's make, you know uh, harvesting the broccoli. If they have an abundance, well, I'm gonna eat a lot of broccoli, right? I'm not going to demand a five-second delivery at McDonald's because that's not real. That's not normal. Everything here is non-GMO food. Everything here is farm to table. 
And it, there's there's so much slack in the system that if you go to the to the vegetable grower today and he doesn't have tomatoes, that's fine. You'll have avocados or you'll have something else. And variety comes from what's available at the time. We don't have a world in the Western world that supports that or even could stomach it. It's like if I can't go to the supermarket today and get my, you know, fill in the blanks, I'm going to, you know, the world comes to an end. No, it doesn't. But we have absolutely no coping skill for a world that isn't closely coupled like that. So what ends up happening is that you start realizing as a, as a guy who spent most of my working career as a systems designer, you start looking at systems and you start realizing that the, the risk, firstly, you would never design a system that way by choice, but it just happens to be the way things are. But if you were stuck in that situation, your biggest variable is going to be predictability because you're relying on predictable outcomes up the chain of each step. When we put humans in that chain, predictability matters. And you start realizing that central planners, government, economics, professors, all of the people that we herald as being you know, our, our um, mental asset, um, they don't have the answers. But what they do is they look at you as an individual, as a variable. And the last thing they want is unpredictability. They want you to be going to school through a consistent thing that has nothing to do with learning. It only has to do with getting past a test exam. But they want you out of that. They don't care if you're dumb or you're smart. They just want you to be predictable. So when you come out of that and then you go into college, your job isn't necessarily to come out. The problem we've got is 85% of most college students never profess to do anything they ever majored in. They never do it. Who would spend $100,000 to go and learn liberal arts if you end up becoming a greeter at Walmart? I mean, how does that doesn't connect? And yet we do this because our society is pre-programming us to be predictable. Predictable means saddled with debt, must work, cannot do anything extravagant or extreme at a young age, an age when... If you look back in time, that's when Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak created Apple. That's when the you know Sergey and 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 co created Google. You had to be young, creative, thinking out of the box, unpredictable, and yet we've created a world in which we want to take that out because God forbid you're in the supply chain and you're an unpredictable variable because you could break the whole thing. And that's the problem we've got. We saddle people who want a simple home, shelter for their family with a mortgage, 30 years of debt. You know what the French translation to the word mortgage is? Death contract. That's the literal translation. And yet we look at it and go, oh, it's a mortgage. You know, I'll get a nice home. I'll go, you know, I'll upgrade. I'll get a better one. I'll refinance for a better interest rate. No, <laughs> that's the problem right there. If you're living in a world where you have to spend 30 years of your life to pay off your shelter, you're doing it wrong. But we we have to have the McMansion. We have to have the white picket fence and the beautiful green lawn because otherwise we wouldn't be predictable. We have to be predictable in a chain of predictability in order for this stupid, closely coupled system to work. 
And that's the problem we've got. When it works and it works fast, we commend it and say, look at this wonderful thing. We have AI, we have the metaverse, we have all of these distractions. What are they? Elements of predictability. If you're sitting behind a computer with those stupid 3D goggles on and your life is in the metaverse, that's not a life. But while you're sitting there in that chair, you're not an unpredictable part of the supply chain. When you finish, you'll get out of that chair, you'll sleep, you'll get up the next day, you'll have your Starbucks and you'll hit the road to go to work to be another predictable part of a chain because God forbid you're unpredictable, you're an outcast. Do you ever see the movie, The Matrix? Of course. <laughs> this is exactly what we've got. We're all little batteries in a predictable state living in an illusion that we are not living in that state. And until we wake up from that state of, state of slumber and we start realizing that we've given ourselves out, our best has been given to somebody else because it's more important for them that we be predictable than it is that we be individuals and we are creative. I, I recently did a study, I know in the industry of IT and computing, there's a pretty common study, which is consistent amongst most, say, large industries, say, corporate industries, that you go to a department and you'll find that 10% of the people are actually producing 90% of the productive output of that group. It's certainly the case in IT. Well, why would you give the other 90% a job and pay their salary and take their uh, costs on board if they're producing you no actual active output that's productive, that's at least enough to cover their costs and make a profit, you know, in that world. Well, it's because it's not about profit. It's about predictability. And in predictability, you want people who don't rock the boat. You want people who become great team players, who become just followers of somebody else's mantra, because predictability God forbid we lose that and we lose the entire fabric of Western civilization. That's our problem. I'm trying to say as somebody who is atypical, a contrarian, an outcast, that I easily could be shunned from that world. Even what I'm telling you now would be against the better interests of any central planner, of any banker, of any politician or any government or any economist I'm their enemy. I'm not trying to be, but I wasn't raised with that expectation. I was raised with go out and be free. Go out and be the best person you can be. Take your gift that you were given and, and take with it and do the best you can with that and try and help people and try and solve problems and try and be the best person that you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, I did my best right? Because life, life's a struggle, right? If we don't accept that it's a struggle, that's fine. But you've got to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and go, I did my best. You're not doing your best if you're doing the will of somebody else. And we don't want to look in the mirror. Most of us never get a chance. I, I always I think about my father when, when he passed, that he was forced at the age of 65 to stop work you know, my mother and him went on the European vacation like most people do in retirement. But when he got back and he got, you know, he played golf 
and he read books, but he didn't do much with his life, you know? And I always wondered, well, there's a lot of depth to life and you're missing, you know, as you said, time is something we never get back, but it, like every day, is there a quality factor of what you can do with that day? And I looked at his life and I saw somebody who was just exhausted. And that's, I guess that lethargic nature at the end or lack of hope or just a scared anxiety of not knowing what do I do without the company? What do I do without somebody telling me what to do? I think that that stress kills you. And it certainly did in his case. Um, I think it's dangerous, extremely dangerous to our health if we just blindly follow these mantras without having the courage and the willingness to look at ourselves in the mirror and to be willing to say we are a very deep individual that we can look inward and we can see and discover things in ourselves that we didn't even know were there. But you can never do those things when somebody else has taken all your attention. And at the end of the day, it becomes people often fear it. They don't want to look at themselves. They they want to find a way to avoid it. They want to find a way to escape from it. And so we live in a world of artificial escapism. And that's only because we don't have the courage to stand up and realize that we can be much better than this. Um, and that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. I know it's a lot, but it's just, <laughs> that's great. It, it, it's just a very different approach to, to looking at life without being political or religious or anything like that. It's got nothing to do with that. It's about just being sensible, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> just live in human experience as every one of us has right to live because we don't want to be just this 1% of rich people who can, you know, have that opportunity to who have had that freedom. I want everyone to experience that. But again, like how you uh, how you look at things, how you filter what's coming in to your senses, you know, either you see something, listening to something you should know, you should question everything, right? And you should know that whatever the agenda is behind, you know, all of those corporations or people in the top, they're not looking into your benefit, you know? You should look into your benefit yourself. And with you knowing that you here, uh, you have purpose, right? You here for a greater good, not just for yourself, but also impact others as well. What are you gonna leave behind when you're gone? How are you gonna use that time wisely every single day? What are you gonna do with that time? Is up to you. Everybody has a free will, have a choice, right? And with us, keep listening to what we think normal, it's not normal. And we're afraid of being uh, abnormal in the uh, light of society. And that's why we continue repeating those cycles over and over again. And it becomes generational. You know, with you here right now, stopping that uh, pattern, it will, you know, it will help not just you, but the generation to come. If you can teach your kids and, and their kids of what matters, you know, our society can emerge in something different in a hundred years from today. So we don't realize that uh, it's, 
it's more than just about living here today, but also about the future and uh, how we choose to uh, spend our time matters because in the end of the day, we only have that lifetime. It could be different for anybody, but let's say a hundred years, right? So whatever you can do in that period, that will be important. That is important now. That will be important 100 years from today. And you, only you, can make that choice. And you don't have to give that power away. With you continuing uh, being that employee, that part of human capital, which is predictable, and it's good for some people who are in charge, but it's not good for you to continue doing that, knowing how, uh, how it hurts you, how it hurts your financial, personal, professional life, everything that you are here to do, all of your gifts, it's, it would be selfish for you to not to share it with others, not the other way around. You yeah. should find that time. You should create that time every single day to follow what your passion is, to just do what makes you feel joyful, to feel that uh, kind of on a constant basis. And it will, it will increase more opportunities for you to, uh, to kind of use that skill in a better way, in, in growing and also connecting with others. And that's the way for you to kind of uh, achieve that next level, but also, uh, you should stop and ask yourself, how do I spend my time every day? Is, is everything that I'm doing only working for somebody else? Or maybe I can also start creating something on the side for my own good, for my benefit, that it will grow and maybe eventually give me the opportunity to transition from being an employee but running my own company or having that different type of uh, income that could stream in without my involvement, right? That will give me that financial sustainability that I don't have to wait for 65 years to retire. Maybe I could retire in five years from today. And that's up to you. You can create that lifestyle for yourself. And of course you can do uh, anything with your time when you know already that uh, you don't have to think about expenses where that is taken care of. Then you can focus your time on just being creative, going around the world, just seeing places. And again, uh, it comes back to creating that opportunity for yourself first to prioritizing your mental and physical health, um, making sure that the time is not wasted. And it's true. We can come up with different excuses why we cannot start anything today. Always having that negative talk, that you know, critical kind of like approach to how we manage life and why we don't start, why we're afraid of something. I know because it's unknown, because I never tried it before, but it will be unknown tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. So when are you gonna try? When do, where would you know that this is something you can achieve without you trying. Because I would also, I would add to that, that um, it, 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 people who are watching this, um, they're probably looking at it going, 
yeah, but that couldn't be me or yeah, but you know, you, you had a, a, you know, you got rich early in life. I, I lost all my money and a divorce. So I was brought back to penniless very quickly years later. I had to rebuild it again. And then I did that again. And then I lost most of it in 2008 in the crash. And then I had to build it all back again. And every single time I built it back, it came back two or three or four fold bigger. And now I'm too old to go through that. <laughs> so I don't want to do that anymore. I'm, I'm cool where I am. But having said that, um, people who would argue that they couldn't do something like that, that, that you know, this is, and, and maybe, the, you know, I'm an atypical example or anybody similar to me is atypical that it's outside of their reach. I didn't come from wealth at all. Uh, you know, I came from a lower middle class family. Um, there was no free money here. This is all done by just doing the opposite of what everybody else does. And if it to if anybody here is into statistics and math, there's a number of statistics that are really important that they should be aware of. Um, the first one I mentioned before, 85% of people who go to college don't ever profess a career in what they majored in. That's a problem, number one. Number two, 78% of the population, according to Forbes magazine, are living paycheck to paycheck. So that means that there's more money or equal amount of money going out every month than there is coming in. So there's no slack. They're, they're closely coupled, just like the very companies they probably work, to, work for are. Um, so that's bad. But the biggest one that I think that people really have to understand is that we've been told for most of our lives, particularly by the government, that we're going to live to a, a, a ripe old age and that we people are living longer. It's not true. If you actually go to true CDC numbers from the Center of Disease Control, the very government agency who we look to for the answers for our recent pandemic, but pre-pandemic, and you look at a, a statistic they used to publish, they may still be back in the business of doing this, but prior to, um, they did this prior to COVID, uh, and then they kind of stopped. They used to publish annually US, both male and female, life expectancy numbers. And if you are anybody who's a bit of a number nerd like I am, you can go back to, um, you can use like the internet Waybacks machine if you want to try and find it, but go back to the CDC's website where they define life expectancy for a US male or US female and go back to about 2014 and then project it forward year on year. They're telling us because of entitlement programs and social security and, and all of those expenses that they have certainly uh, are concerned about with $31 trillion in national debt, and anyone should be. But the problem is they're telling us that you can retire at 67, not 65 now, or some countries have even gone to 70. But it doesn't connect to the life expectancy. In 2016, and I'm going off memory on these, but I think they're pretty quote, pretty accurate. The US male life expectancy was 79.5 years. That's not very good. We used to compare that to countries like Western Europe, where you would see 81, 82, even Canada to where North had a better life expectancy. But we stressed ourselves out to the point where we were losing years of life. 
But what was more important that people forgot was look at the next year's numbers and then look at the next year's numbers and then look at the next year's numbers and you'll see a trajectory that's really bad. By 2019, the CDC life expectancy that US male that in 2016 had a 79.5 year lifespan was at 76.3. We had lost the number of years consistent with how many years we went forward in the analysis. How is that good? When I'm being told that I should just defer all of my you know, enjoyment in life to when I'm retired at 65, and yet the number of years I'm going to have to live and enjoy it statistically have been reduced down by 5% over five years. That's a stupid game. I would never sign up for that. That's exactly what my father did. And so we defer all of our immediate gratification and all of our immediate dreams to a time in life when we have bad hips, bad backs, bad this, and you can't go and enjoy walking around the streets of Prague or climbing Machu Picchu or going to uh, Africa or Buenos Aires or wherever and seeing the real world when you're that physically disabled. It's just not going to be pleasant. And so yet that's what we do. We give up all of our lives until the time when we can't even enjoy those things. I call BS on the whole thing. I think that the mantra is wrong. I think that the numbers don't work to our favor. And unless you are blind to these things, that that you just subscribe to this consistent idea. I've even scrapped the entire word retire out of my dialogue. I don't like the word because it tells me an endpoint of something, whereas it would be better if maybe I spent the first few years of my life out of when I left high school. Um, I mean, I did something uh, that was consistent with an opportunity that happened at the time. But for anybody who finds themselves coming out of high school and wondering, well, what should I do? The best thing you can do is go get a passport and go and travel the world for a few years and learn how it is to order food in Tokyo when you don't speak the language. Learn how strong you can be as a digital nomad in Thailand. Learn how to build meaningful relationships with people in a, uh, you know, a pension in Germany. I mean, learn how the world works by being a part of it, not reading about it or watching a YouTube video or a TV show. Go out and do it. Because once you start doing that, you'll start seeing yourself in the mirror. You'll start realizing how powerful you really are and what you can do in this beautiful place. And that the US only represents 4% of the world's population. And yet we have the, we're the country with probably the fewest number of passports issued compared to any other country. I, I just find that very difficult to, to, to understand. It just doesn't make sense to me. And yet people at that bright, bright young age of 18 are committing $100,000 to go and be a whatever it is, knowing that they probably never will because they haven't yet found who they are, their identity, their passion. They haven't had meaningful relationships yet. And they're not in a position where they're informed enough to make those decisions. And I, as a parent, uh, realize that parents 
are probably the reason for that, to blame for this, because we live in a world where every child wins a prize and we only want our kids to have the best and we're going to take all the sharp edges and round them off so that they don't hurt themselves. And all we're doing is making a weaker group of people who cannot handle anything other than be predictable parts of an interconnected supply chain and miserable at best. And so I think if I was to talk to anybody, it would be the parents. Build up the courage for your own kids to realize that the most important thing they should ever do with their life when they come to you and ask that question, dad, what should I do? Mom, what should I do? The most important answer you can give them is go and be free and find who you are, right? You don't know what that is. You might be their parent. You might think they're gifted in this or this or this. Don't be projecting your own ego upon them. Let them go out there and find that. And then all of a sudden they'll come back to you happier, stronger, more confident, low anxiety, and far better uh, opportunity to give something back to society because we really need it. No, I agree. And that's the best advice that you can give to parents and also those who are still young and exploring. They should first kind of connect with their true self and to understand who they are and what they want in life. And then, uh, you know, look into pursuing their dreams and thinking outside of this box, outside of this society created box that we're living and be more than just um, those who follow that social mantra. And for those who are more interested to look into details, I would advise to go to your website beunconstrained.com is that right that is it yep information uh that would benefit them uh to build that kind of uh, sustainable future for themselves and i'm so grateful that we had that conversation today it was a pleasure meeting you and i hope you enjoy your day well thank you so much thank you for having me i wish you all the best thank you thank you for listening to my podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did follow my show and leave me a review i'd love to hear from you to check out intern store go to internpodcast.com stay tuned